The reading this morning is Nehemiah chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 5 and 15 to 23. Opposition, sorry, it's found on page 487 in the Church Bibles. Opposition to the rebuilding. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work, with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water." This is the word of the Lord. As Peter brings us the word. Father, we pray for Peter that you will anoint his words with the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for us as we listen, that you will hear the message that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You have my absolute permission. If you get really cold, just to get up and down and have a little walk around and just, just, just warm up. Don't worry, about, don't worry about me. I'm absolutely fine. I've preached through all sorts of things, so that won't, won't surprise me at all. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this sermon series. We're looking at uh, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it. I hope you are. And uh, I hope um, that in your home groups, if you're in one, uh, if you're not, uh, we'll be thinking about that another time and, uh, and introducing the home groups a little bit more. But uh, I hope you're um, looking at this book with interest. It's a timely book for us, isn't it? And uh, there's a lot in this, in this book. We've skipped over chapter 3, uh, which I'll refer to a little bit later on. But um, the message is so powerful, so relevant, uh, even for us living all the time after it's written. It was written, remember, 450 years before Christ. So um, it was an old book even when Christ was... Uh, on this earth. But before we get into uh, this chapter that's before us in uh, chapter 4, um, there's five principles of leadership that I've gathered as uh, we've looked at the first at least two chapters uh, so far. And these are uh, five principles of leadership that we can apply to our lives generally. And uh, I just want to talk through those quickly and also it'll sort of serve as a reminder of where we've got to so far in Nehemiah. And there's some slides that will help us to, to think about those as well. So the first principle is vision. Uh, the first principle that, that uh, guided Nehemiah's leadership was that of vision. And you remember in the first chapter of Nehemiah, we heard how uh, uh, the, the walls, how he heard the news that the walls and the gates had been broken down and destroyed. You remember that? Uh, how he heard that news with uh, great dismay and how he reacted to that news. And we read in chapter 1 that when I heard this about the people of Jerusalem and about the wall, I sat down and cried. I was very sad. I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven for several days. And out of that time of prayer, that intensive period of prayer and fasting, he had a dream, he had a picture, a vision of how things might be, how they might be, in fact, better. And so as he prayed, and then we have the prayer that he prays at the end of that time of praying, uh, how he comes to the conclusion that, yes, Jerusalem is to be rebuilt. And so he prays, Lord, let your ear be attentive. And God plants that vision in his heart there and then of how he, in fact, is the one who's going to lead that effort, that endeavor. And so he's got this vision. This is a, an overarching principle of leadership. But uh, vision is the first thing that he, uh, he has. Uh, the second principle we can see in his story is that of commitment. And again, you remember uh, what, his, what his role was, his, his, uh, his job was. He was a palace servant. He was the one who was a cupbearer to the king. And he was that secret service agent, if you like. He was the one who tasted the wine before the emperor drunk it. And so if it was poisoned, he was the one who would uh, be killed by it, not the king. So he, he had an, in, a, in a way, had an easy life. In a way, he had a very dangerous life. But he had commitment to the cause that God had put in his heart. And so he says to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So he's committed to the cause. He, he wants to go back to Jerusalem, whatever it takes. And so for us in our discipleship, in our walk, we need to be committed to what God is saying to us, however costly it might be. 
So we have vision, we have commitments. Thirdly, we see, before we reach chapter 4, we see the principle of teamwork, or building a team. And so we saw that last week in chapter 2. We read in chapter 2, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah, we see from that, he's not, uh, he doesn't want to be a loner. He doesn't want to be on his own in leadership. He wants to build a team. He wants to bring people around him, alongside him, with him. And so he says, let us rebuild. He wants it to be a communal exercise. He's very intentional about that. And likewise, I'm sure any rebuilding work here at Christchurch will need us to come together as a team with all of us playing our part in seeking God's vision and being committed to living it out, to see it to come to fruition. Fourthly, we see careful planning. Esther talked uh, about that last week, didn't she? There was that secret inspection around the ward. Remember that that he went out uh, without telling anybody else about what he was doing. He wanted to see the damage, the extent to which the walls had been damaged and broken down, and not telling anybody else why he was doing that. And so in chapter 2, verse 16, we read, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. But he'd done the groundwork. he looked at it carefully. He'd inspected it carefully. He knew the damage that had been wrought. And again, before uh, that principle can apply to us here, before we begin to rebuild at Christchurch, one of the things that uh, Debbie and I are keen to do is is simply to get to know you, to hear your stories. You've each got uh, different stories, unique stories. We want to hear about that. Listen to those. Acknowledge those. Where there's been damage and hurt. And to hear from that where we discern God can help us together where we can pray together and discern God's heart for this church, for his church here at Christ Church and so move into those plans that he's got for us and the final principle if you like is that of resources, he gathered his resources and we saw that in the first half of chapter 2 when he had that meeting that audience with the king and he asked the king what he needed He needed this, I need this, I need that. I need the material resources, but he also needed the human resources. And those people, uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but that's in chapter 3. If you get the time to read that through uh, in some point, please do. It's uh, great detail. Names upon names and uh, names of gates and so on. Uh, Starts with the sheep gate, works all the way around the the city, ends up back at the sheep gate. An amazing detail uh, as to how they plan to rebuild the city. And again, as I said, at Christchurch, it will take all of us, all of us, in that rebuilding. So those are the the five principles, if you like, for the rebuilding work that he gets to before we reach chapter 4. We have vision, how it might be better, commitments, teamwork, planning, and the gathering of resources, material and human. And so we reach chapter 4, the chapter uh, before us today. And today we're going to think about how Nehemiah deals with opposition. 
with anything that, that is a godly enterprise, inevitably going to have things that come against it. And we're thinking particularly this week about opposition from the outside. Next week, Ivan's going to be thinking with us about how, how we deal with opposition on the inside, if you like. But this week, it's opposition that comes to us from the outside and how we deal with that, how we cope with that. And Nehemiah really gives us an excellent example of how to keep going in the face of that opposition, how to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, how to keep our eyes fixed on God's purposes for us. As individuals, yes, but also as a church body. And so here, right at the start of chapter 4, if you've got the, the passage before, you'll see that we get these pantomime ugly sisters making their next appearance. Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab. But they've already been in our story before. We know their names already, don't we? And if you've ever been to the pantomime and you get these, you know, these baddies who come onto the stage and you're kind of told what to do, it's a kind of, watch out, they're right behind you. So it's almost like this, this with these three, you've got to call out, watch out, watch out, they're right behind you. But these three characters, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, really are those who are kind of trying to derail the plans, derail the, the rebuilding work. And Sambalat actually is quite a powerful ruler. He notices, he sees that the building work has started and he can't stand it. In fact, he is incensed, we're told in verse 1. He is, uh, he is incensed. And also we notice as you look at chapter 4, <coughs> excuse me, you'll see that he not only is there on his own, but he's also got an audience. He has people who are with him to ridicule and to jive. He's got his generals and he's got his army. Like any petty plutocrat, he's got people he wants to kind of have an audience with as he's, uh, to join in the joke with him. And so he dishes out the insults, left, right and centre. What are they doing? Who do they think they are? Do they really think they're going to get that job done? These are insults. These are questions to provoke uncertainty and, un and unease. And then an ugly, another ugly sister, Tobiah, joins in with his own jives. He says, have a look at that. Even a little fox would make that wall tumble down. Now, I wonder what your response would have been to those sorts of, those sorts of jives. How would you have responded to that? They're, they're petty insults, but if you add them all together, they become quite a lot, and they might make some of our blood boil. It reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis and his screw tape letters, if you've ever read that classic, of, of the older devil who is teaching the junior devil how to annoy a human being. And he says, well, look, what you need to do is you need to talk to them and say, well, who do you think you are, Christian? Do you think you're ever going to make a difference in the world? You'll never achieve anything for God. But notice how Nehemiah responds. He responds to what David Rauch might describe as an arrow prayer, that kind of you know, direct prayer to God all very quickly. And he says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, you, you might be a little bit surprised by that sort of prayer. It's a bit of a plea that God will send thunderbolt and lightning on them, you know, squash them. 
teach them a lesson. And yet the prophet Jeremiah and others in the Bible have also similar sorts of prayer when they're going through a time of deep testing and persecution. So Jeremiah, the prophet, says this, But you, Lord, know all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Interestingly, if you notice something that's similar about the way that Jeremiah and Nehemiah pray at this point, what they're concerned about is God's reputation, God's honor and reputation. Not so much about theirs, but God's. And so these pantomime ugly sisters are are insulting God's name. They're insulting God's honor by taunting Nehemiah and taunting the builders of the wall. And so Nehemiah's prayer is that God will defend his own honor, his own reputation, in a way that he chooses to do. And God is big and powerful enough to do that, isn't he? And sometimes we need to ask ourselves, are we more concerned about our reputation or God's? Is it about our honor or God's honor that we're more concerned about? Is it his honor that decides or influences our decisions and our actions where we spend our time and our energy? Or are we just building up our own reputation? And then we get to verse 6. We didn't read verse 6, but verse 6 gives us an encouraging insight into the way the people were working. We hear that the people work with all their hearts. They, at this point, completed the wall to half the original height. But they're, they're, they're going well. They're working with all their heart. They're being well-led, encouraged, and uh, they're, they're doing well. And then we skipped over the middle verses of the chapter, and, uh, and yet they're really important ones. Uh, I didn't want the whole chapter read because it's a long chapter. But in the middle of the chapter, you get these ugly sisters come back into the story. You know, these right behind you, kind of pantomime people. And they have another go at the building work. Another go at Nehemiah and the people. And then now what they're doing now, they're, they're ratcheting up the opposition. It's getting a little bit more serious. And there are now rumors and plots that they're going to kill the Jews. And then the builders, not surprisingly, they're even getting more nervous about the fact they're building the walls. And they're saying to Nehemiah, look, we're going to be attacked now. What are we going to do? The panic is rising in their voices. But again, if you read the chapter through carefully, you'll notice how Nehemiah responds calmly. And also, as he responds calmly, it's a spiritual and a practical response. Firstly, he says, it's a a practical response. He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. So you see, they could defend themselves. If they're attacked, they got the weapons to hand. And yet also Nehemiah points them towards their true defender, the one who gives their true safety, which is God. And you see that in verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. God is with us, he's saying to them. God is with us. Remember he's great. Remember he's awesome. There's no one like him. What can those feeble people do against him? What can they do in the face of an awesome, powerful God? 
And so for us, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When those times of darkness and despair come in against us, or against us individually, against us as a church, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Perhaps that's a feeling you had in the past. Maybe there's a time of real darkness, difficulty, despair you went through in the past. Maybe you're in that place right now. Or maybe it's in the future, as we go into the future, and maybe we'll face those times together. What do we do? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And this is where we reach probably the most famous and the most well of of all the passages in Nehemiah. And I'll read it again for us. It merits our full attention. From verse 16. From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is that famous sword and trowel tactic that Nehemiah devises to keep the work going. Even while they are thinking they might be attacked at any point, he comes up with this tactic. Those who carry materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried doing that, but it could have been disastrous. I mean, if I'm doing gardening work, it's just enough for me to hold a trowel, let alone a sword. But, you know, they somehow did it. It succeeded. Nehemiah had thought about it. How can we do this? He was thinking and praying, no doubt. How can we keep working and yet also be prepared spiritually? How to keep the essential work going and also be ready to fight at any moment? And what a lesson that is for us in our walk as disciples of Jesus and as members of his church. What a lesson. Jesus needs people who are living in the world. He needs people who are in jobs. He needs people at school. He needs people at college. He needs people down your street. He needs people in your family. He needs people at coffee in the living room. He needs people who are building relationships with people all over the place. That's how God works. And yet at the very same time being ready to pray and join in the spiritual battle that is going on all around us all the time. Are we ready? Are we ready? Those are sound tactics. And it must have made the enemy think twice about attacking. But not only that, Nehemiah then spreads his workers along the ramparts. He spreads his leaders along the ramparts. And if they hear the sound of the trumpet, what do they do? They gather in one place to defend the walls. As he reminds them, our God will fight for us. In verse 20, our God will fight for us. And Nehemiah, he's he's again showing amazing leadership. He's got the vision of a rebuilt Jerusalem before them. He's got that to inspire them. The commitment is, is, is obvious. They're joining in. There's a great teamwork going on. The plans are thought through and the resources are all readily divided up. And then notice what it says right at the end of our passage about the leaders mucking in getting involved with everybody else. 
Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. That is teamwork. That's real teamwork. This is the leader and the other, this is Nehemiah and his other leaders all getting involved, all getting in there, not standing by, looking aloof, but getting in the muck and the grime of the hard work and the rebuilding. And again, there's a lesson there for those of us who are leaders to get involved. But as I said at the start, that the chapter really hones in on the question, how do we deal with those difficult times? <clears throat> Excuse me. How do we deal with those times when the people around us who wouldn't call themselves Christians are against us? How do we deal with that? And the temptation is, as the people are no doubt were feeling in Jerusalem at the time, those, the, the people who uh, were building the walls, the temptation would have been to say, well, hey, it's all too much. Let's give up. Let's give in. Let's go home. Let's go back to where we came from, Babylon. And the Jews, you see, were being jibed by those pantomime ugly sisters, and they could have given in quite easily. But Nehemiah, the great leader, he spurs them on. He encourages them to pray and work. Work and pray. Pray and work. Sword and trial. All the same time. So let's think about how that can apply to us here in our situation at Christ Church. What needs building up in our church life? Well, truth be told, there are lots of areas. But one of the areas that Debbie and I have identified particularly is that of children's and youth work. Folks, we can't keep kind of going back to the good old days, can we? You know, the good old days when Christchurch had lots of children and lots of families. Look around. Look around. But we do have young people. I know the 9 o'clock service is slightly different, but even so, we do have young people who are part of our congregations. And we need to cherish them, all of them. They're part of the church, even those who don't come regularly on Sundays. And it is tough for them. Perhaps even tougher than it's ever been for a child or a teenager to be a Christian. Tougher than it's probably ever been, I'd say. To live out their faith in the world as it is. And it can be tough even to go to a midweek discipleship group when everybody else is saying, well, don't go to that, that's silly. So how do we respond? Do we, do we say as a church, well, look, I'm too old. I've been there, I've done that. It's all too hard, too difficult. Or do we do what Nehemiah shows us and it boils down I think to that pray and work work and pray idea so yes we can do various things we can pray for our young people we can give thanks to their lives we can say yes they give to our church and yes of course we need to pray that more will come in time but maybe God is calling some of us to be the answer to our own prayers specifically um if you know Sharon and Adrian, who uh, come to the 1030, um, run the Youth Alpha Group, and John and Dan, who run the Boys Bible Study Group, they're, they're doing that. It's costly. But they're making a big difference. I know that because our girls go to the Youth Alpha Group on a Wednesday night, and they love it. But what about on Sundays? Uh, particularly at the 1030, you, you'll notice that the leaders are very few and far between uh, of children's work, and, and it's kind of fallen mainly on the parents and a few others who come to make sure there's provision. But if we really care about the children and the young people, and if they're part of our church family, we will 
do something about it. And we're all in this together. We will act and take some responsibility. So may I ask you something? I know, again, it's slightly different for the 9 o'clock, but there are things that you might consider doing. Is there something you can offer just once a month, or even less frequently, that will bless the children and the young people that we've got? Different things you could do. There's something called pray and bake. That's making something and then praying with them as well. If you like doing that, that's great. Uh, You could commit to pray. You could get to know them and say, look, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you in your school, in your college, whatever it is. Get to know them. Ask their name and say, yes, I want to pray for you. And that will be a meaningful thing for you and for them. And we've also thought maybe from time to time you, you could offer to go and be with them on a Sunday morning and share your story. What it's like to be a Christian in your situation. Or maybe even share your wisdom of how you've learned to trust Christ in all sorts of different situations. Because as they hear that, they'll think, oh yeah, okay. Uh, that's how they've done it. Maybe I can think about that as well and that'll help me as I become a, 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 a sort of Christian who's growing up. But we can all do something. There's that wonderful story, isn't there, of, of the five loaves and the, and the two fish. Jesus takes what we have, he multiplies it, and he makes it fruitful. And yet, we've got to offer that in the first place. So don't hold back. Have a chat with Debbie, who's actually here um, at the back there. Have a chat with Debbie. If you've got something that you think you could offer, um, if you don't want to offer it today, have a go, go away and think about it. What is God saying to you? That's just one area. There's other areas of church life that need building up. Of course there are. But that is something that perhaps God might speak to us about uh, uh, particularly. So let me end by saying two things. Firstly, as we rebuild the walls here at Christ Church, as we live our lives day by day for God in those places, remember what Nehemiah says. Let's remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Let's not falter, let's not give up when those things come against us on the outside and the cost seems too great. But let's do what St. Paul says in that amazing passage about the armour of God in Ephesians. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed great and awesome. You are a powerful God. You are a mighty God. You are above all things. All things are held together by you. And Lord, sometimes we forget that as we face difficult times. We we kind of think, well, there's, there's nothing we can do. And yet we can call upon your name. We can ask that you will intervene. We can ask that you would come and give us that vision for how it could be. Lord, would you come and bless your people here at Christ Church with a sense that you are with us, that you've not abandoned us, but you're with us in the rebuilding work. You're with us in the difficult stuff. You're with us in the hard work. Would you bless your people today and in the coming days and weeks and months? In Jesus' name.